Let me invite you now, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Exodus, second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, chapter 2. We'll, we'll look at verse 11 today. We're, we're looking at Exodus, and the series is titled Slaves Set Free. Literal, literal slaves were set free in this story of, of God's people being slaves in Egypt and then rescued, not by any person but by the hand of God. And looking at how that, how that truth uh, extends to us because we were slaves. Some of us still are slaves in various ways, in various forms. But we've been set free in Christ. Let's read this, this story. We continue with the life of Moses. We've been talking about the birth of Moses, this leader of God's people, and now we skip forward 40 years all at once to find one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people, or his brothers, and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people, or his brothers. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard about it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, how is it that you've come home so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may come and eat bread. (coughs) And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. She gave birth to a son. And he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. We pray with me. Father, now may the words of my mouth and the, the meditations and thoughts and leadings of all of our hearts be acceptable, be pleasing in your eyes and be fruitful for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I was uh, a little bit too old 
to have come across the Harry Potter series when they first came out. But a few years ago, I, I uh, came across uh, copies of the first five books, and I decided to read them and, um, and really enjoyed them. them. And they, uh, they portray this, uh, this school that's a mysterious school. You can't get to this school, find it on a map. You have to, you have to get there by a magic train. And, uh, and this school is all about training, um, training people in magic. Now, there's controversy about this and whether they're promoting witchcraft. But uh, while I think there's some danger in reading the book if you don't come into it with a, a right mindset... It ultimately portrays a battle of good against evil. And the training that these children begin at age 11 and finish at age 17 uh, is, happens at this, this mysterious school called Hogwarts where they learn the practices. Some choose evil and some choose good. This is a story today, the story about Moses is, is interesting because it's a story about, about training, about schooling. It's a training about not students being trained in witchcraft, not at Hogwarts School of, of Witchcraft, but it's a school, it's, it's God's school for leadership development. It's just a glimpse. It's, in fact, the only glimpse we get, you realize this is the only glimpse we get at Moses between the time that he was born and an infant and the time that he was 80 years old and was called by God to lead his people. Here he's 40 years old. Span of 80 years. And we have this one little glimpse. This is it of when he was 40 years, and I think from this we can see how God trains his people, how he raises up leaders in a mysterious way that's very different from the way that the world teaches. But equips God's people to be leaders. Now, some of you, some of you are saying, and he's thinking, I have no interest in being a leader. I'm very content to serve in God's kingdom. I'm very content to work at my job under my manager. I don't want to have anything uh, to do with with leadership. I I like what I'm doing. And let me say two things to that. First is that uh, part of that's a good good feeling. Not everybody was Moses. We talked about that last week. Not everybody's called to be Moses. Not everybody's called to be a priest, a leader of God's people. Not everybody's called to be a manager. Not everybody's called uh, to lead a family. Not everybody's called to do a lot of things. But, hear this but. But we are all called to be leaders. And you may say, well, how does that work then? We're all called to be leaders because we all influence other people whether we like it or not. 
whether we want to or not. Let me give you an example. My brother has Down syndrome. He was here just a couple weeks ago. Some of you met him. And Doug has held a couple of jobs. He's bagged groceries at a grocery store. He's never managed anybody. Doug's done different odd jobs around the house. He's certainly done work. But Doug is a leader because Doug influences people. You know, Doug is known probably by more people in our hometown of Kalamazoo, Michigan, than most other people around the city. He's almost a celebrity. He goes places and people say hi to him because in his disability, he is incredibly friendly and unassuming. He always greets people with a hug. He always, most always, has a smile on his face. He influences people even out of his fairly humble position. Whether you're a manager or a pastor or an elder or a leader or somebody who works, a child and a family, we all influence people and we all influence people either in good ways or in bad ways. And so I want to look at Moses in his school, his attending God's School of Leadership Development. I want us to each think about how this applies to our life because we see this school happening in mysterious places, in mysterious ways, not in the ways that we would expect it to. The first place we see it happening is in in an Egyptian field where slaves are working, perhaps building buildings, perhaps doing some farming, And then we also see this this training, this schooling happening, this mysterious schooling happening at a well in a rural part of the wilderness that they called Midian, perhaps in the Sinai Peninsula today, perhaps even east of that. And look at how how God is training up Moses to be a leader in surprising ways. Now, the first question I want to ask is, when, when does this training happen? Most of us have been raised in environments. If we have been raised in these environments, we certainly see it around us that communicate, if you don't start your education at about the age of four, you're behind the curve. You've, you've, lost, you've <coughs> lost the advantage And all kinds of things are poured into children's education at this early age. And early education is great, but it's taken to a level of worship. You know when Moses started his education? I mean his real education? When he was 40. When he was 40 and he went out and he looked on his people and he saw what they had been... been, uh, going through, and he had compassion on his people. Now, yes, he had been trained in the best schools of Egypt. Remember this from last week. The people, the kings from all kinds of surrounding countries would send their children, the princes, to Egypt so that they could be raised in a boarding school in the ways of of how to lead 
a country. Moses had this education, most likely. We don't know it for sure, but most likely he was raised as a prince of Egypt in this elite school. And yet, we find nothing mentioned in Scripture about this training. In fact, the only thing we find in Scripture is that, is that Moses left that and was commended for leaving that in Hebrews 11, commended for leaving that life of luxury and that place and going to identify with his people and sacrificing for them. Surely God used that early training, but that wasn't what equipped Moses, most of all, to be a leader in God's, of God's people. When does our training happen? It happens all through life. In fact, it happens when we are willing to make sacrifices, when we go to serve people who are in need, when we defend the poor, when we defend uh, those who are suffering, when we visit those who are sick, when we do all sorts of things, we're being trained to be a leader of God. But Moses' training didn't start off so good. Do you notice that? Let's look at where this training happens. Again, it happens first in this Egyptian field, and then second at this rural well. Here's how his training started. He wanted to see how his people were getting along. And so he went out. We don't know if he's left his privileges yet or if he's leaving his privileges when he goes out to look at the, the people the people that are his people, the Hebrew people working as slaves, and he sees one of them being abused. And he sees and he understands that that's, it's not just. It's not right. In fact, this man may even be, be being beaten to the point of death. It says he saw an Egyptian beating, striking, smiting a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and then seeing no one, he, same word, he struck the Egyptian. He recognized the injustice, but he took things too far. He couldn't control his anger. He couldn't control... and keep himself from killing a man. Rather than just pulling him off of the man, he, he struck him and killed him, and seemingly he had the intent to do it because he looked this way and that, knowing that he did not have the authority to do it, knowing that he would be found guilty if he did it, knowing that it was wrong, and yet he murdered this Egyptian and hit him in the sand. It's interesting, we know even more that this was not what he was supposed to do. He had no authority because of two things that happened. First, when he goes out in the field the next day and he thinks his crime has been covered up, it's a criminal. It's a criminal who responds and says, are you going to do the same thing to me that you did to him? Because now you're with me. 
In verse 13 it said, Two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong. The man in the wrong was literally the criminal. He said to the criminal, Why do you do this to your brother? And the criminal, as if to indict, as if to convict Moses' heart, looked back at him and said, You're just like me. You're the criminal in this. And then Pharaoh confirms it when he names the sentence for Moses' crime as death. Moses, even though he saw injustice, even if this man was striking him down, striking this other man down, this Egyptian was striking the Hebrew down to kill him, Moses did not have authority to kill him, and he took things too far, and he murdered them, he was in the wrong. But here's where the school happened. Here's where that mysterious school of God's leadership happened. We know that Moses learned from his mistake and we shift over the attention into the land of Midian and we find Moses at this well and this time he sees injustice done again. He sees seven women who have already drawn water to water their sheep. And these shepherds come up. And they don't just run the women off and say, well, I'm going first. They take the women's water and they water their own flocks with it. And this isn't the first time it's happened. Their father says, how are you back so soon? This is obviously their regular course in the day. Every day they come and draw water. And every day these mean shepherds, they had no school of chivalry, these mean shepherds come and they take their water and they water their own flock and they're just used to the routine and Moses sees this and he says this is unjust. He says this is not how it's supposed to be but instead of killing these men he drives them off. He's learned something. He's learned where his authority is. He's learned how to defend other people. He's learned the limits. The limits of his authority. Do you have a problem with responding to injustice in measure? Do you have a problem with anger? Do you have a problem with anger even when you're not really in the right? The place where God will oftentimes teach you how to manage that, how to handle it, comes from a really interesting place here. It may not be obvious in the text. It's obvious from the whole of Moses' writings. You know who wrote Exodus? Moses. You know who had seemingly editorial power on what to include in the story and what not to include? Moses. But Moses, led by the Holy Spirit, did an interesting thing here. He didn't edit out his guilt. He didn't leave the guilt of having murdered this man on the chopping floor. He didn't exclude it, as we talked about, was the practice of the pharaohs in 
only writing the things that made them look good. He acknowledged his mistake, not just to other people, but to the whole world. All of the world knows Moses' mistake. How do we find victory over the sins that hold us down? How do we find relief and rescue from this guilt, the guilt that Moses felt, the guilt that so many of us feel? The way we find freedom is to acknowledge our sin before God and others. Maybe not the whole world. And others. And here's the mysterious place that God uses to teach us. Out of our mistakes, out of our errors, out of our sins, God teaches us in a way that Moses could never learn from Pharaoh's school. In a way that none of us can learn from the best schools. Princeton, Yale, and Harvard, they don't teach us this. God teaches us that. And it's completely in contrast with what common wisdom is, what the world's wisdom is. Out of our weakness, we become strong because we find strength in God. Now, there's there's a second interesting place where Moses learns. We see that he's learned something there at the well in Midian, but Moses is continuing to learn more at the well in Midian. You know what he, you know what he learns in Midian? You know what? He had no training at all. We're pretty sure of this. No training at all in the first 40 years of his life. Shepherding. He had no experience in taking care of sheep. He knew that these shepherds were in the wrong, but he didn't know how to take care of sheep. He could tell that they needed water, so he drew water. He didn't know how to take care of sheep. And so God uses the next 40 years of Moses' life to teach him how to be a shepherd. Not just of sheep, but a shepherd of people. For the next 40 years, Moses is going to live a very ordinary life. He marries Zipporah. He has one son here. He lives as a farmer, a shepherd, taking care of sheep. And from that very ordinary training, he learns some extraordinary things. It's not just an ordinary life. He's leading an extraordinary life, but being equipped so that he would be the shepherd of God's people. Now, shepherds are a very interesting thing. We have this 20th century post-Christian view of what a shepherd is. And we think shepherds are great, aren't they? They take care of people who can't really take care of themselves. They feed their flock. They lead them. They go after their sheep. Shepherds are great, but... Did you read about the shepherds here? The shepherds weren't so great. The shepherds were criminals. This is kind of like cowboys. You know that cowboys, they were always the hero in cowboys and Indians, but why were they fighting with the Indians? It's because they were fighting over land that the Indians were on and trying to move. 
They weren't so great. The shepherds were not just dirty. The shepherds were disrespectful. The shepherds were criminal oftentimes. The shepherds were not looking. It's, it's really interesting. It's really interesting that Pharaoh, it's really, it's actually ironic. Do you know that Pharaoh, the great king of Egypt, his schooling was, was known to disdain anybody who had common labor jobs, shepherds, builders, farmers. There's all kinds of evidence from their schools that said these are menial tasks. They don't mean anything. And yet, and yet Pharaoh, have you ever seen Pharaoh depicted with a staff? You know what kind of staff he's depicted as? With, I'll give you a hint. It has, it has a crook on the end. A hook. It's a shepherd's staff. You see, Pharaoh was like the shepherds of that day. He wanted to be known as somebody who took care of the people, but really he wasn't one who took care of the people. There were two types of shepherds. There were bad shepherds, and there were good shepherds. And so Jesus, when he tells people that he is a shepherd, he's very careful to distinguish what kind of shepherd he is. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am a good shepherd, unlike many of the other shepherds you know who are selfish and they watch after their sheep, but they're completely unmindful of other people's sheep. If you want to, you can look with me over at John chapter 10, the New Testament, John chapter 10, and we learn something about the type of shepherd that Jesus is. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all of his sheep, all of his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. cares for the sheep. He allows the sheep to enter in. He goes on later to say he is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd who not only cares for his sheep, but cares for the sheep that are others who are coming to him. He cares for the sheep of the nations that come to him, Pharaoh was out to defend his own, to protect his own. He enslaved the Hebrews. Jesus is a shepherd who allows other sheep to come in and he calls them his own, other sheep who have been abused by the bad shepherds. 
Moses was being trained to be a good shepherd. To take care of God's people. Some of us are called to be shepherds of other people. This is where there's some distinction made in leadership. Those of us who are called to be shepherds of God's people have been trained in many different schools. We've been trained in the schools that say, watch after yourself because no one else will. We've been trained in the school that says, isn't it nice to be nice to everyone? But it's only Jesus who teaches us how to say, I will give up what's my own to give to those who have need. This is what the Good Shepherd does. This is what we learn in Hebrews about what Moses did. It speaks of those who had faith and exercised it in, in Hebrews. And we learn about Moses, it commends Abraham, it commends various people who live by faith, and it commends Moses saying, by faith, when he was grown, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the feeding pleasures of sin, fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. We'll come more to that as we go through, continue through Moses. But I want you to see in this that Moses is displaying what Jesus was going to do in full. He's showing us how Jesus was willing not just to take care of his sheep from the seat of, his seat of power, but to go after his sheep in dangerous, dark places. To take care of his sheep, even at his own risk, and we, we know that he even took, sheep, took care of his sheep to the point <coughs> of dying for his sheep in rescuing them. He sacrificed his seat of power and authority and came down and lived among us so that he could rescue us, his sheep. And this is part of the call of being a leader. We need to be trained in this, to set aside our comforts for the sake of serving those who are in need. I think for many of us, this takes time. We ease into it a little bit more than Moses did. But the way that we're trained, the place that we're trained, the place where we get this schooling is not oftentimes in the classroom, but in real life, hands-on, shepherding of people who are in need, caring for people who are in need. And in doing that, oftentimes we see Jesus' sacrifice more clearly. Moses, 1,400 years before Jesus, looked to the reproach of Christ and he said, that is a greater reward 
than all of my comforts here in this life. This is a this is an upside down, mysterious school. How does it work? And oftentimes we just have to get into it to understand it. Figure it out as we go. Go through the ordinary of life, raising families. Living as a single person. You notice Moses was 40 years old before he got married. Wherever God's called us to, in the ordinary places of life, we oftentimes have great things, extraordinary things to learn if we're listening to God, if we're looking for these opportunities, if we're listening to Him as our teacher instead of the world as our teacher. Let's pray. Father, We come to you as your students, wanting to grow and to learn, expectant that you will continue to teach us throughout our whole lifetime. Moses, continue to learn at 40, at 80, even 120. Will you continue to teach us and help us to learn? Give us courage in this, because we know that Jesus has gone before us. We know that people like Moses have gone before us. And ultimately because we know that Jesus has gone before us. It's in his name that we pray and we ask all these things. Amen.